All right. <laughs> One of those, right? One of those buttons. Well, we're glad you're here. I'm excited. Jesus is excited. Amen. The one thing he likes most of all is seeing you. More than anything else, his desire is for you. You are the reason why he made the sunshine. You are the reason why he paints the sunsets. You are the reason why the birds sing and the, and the flowers bloom. It's all for you. It's all for you. He made, it, he made it and he said, this is for you. You are his inspiration. And he is forever looking for ways to bless you. And he is forever looking for ways to draw you closer to himself and express the love that he has for you in greater dimensions and greater level. It's who he is. Anything short of that is just a flat out lie. If you think God's against you, who told you that? If you think Jesus doesn't love you, who told you that? He loves you on your worst day. He's for you. I love it. So the Lord told me, that's why I tell you, I felt like he told me, Kevin, I'm for you even when you're against you. Now just think about that for a minute and think about how many times you are against you. How many times are you self-condemning? How many times do you not feel you're wanted or accepted or just all of this negativity that we direct back towards ourselves? And Jesus says, listen, you may, you may be against you, but I am never against you. That's a truth. And we teach truths and realities here because that's the world that we live in. And we have to understand that truth, this has absolutely nothing to do with my message, but I feel compelled to say this. Our truth is, as believers, we follow truth and not reality. Reality is entirely different than truth. You hear me say it, right? You hear me say it all the time. Reality and truth are two different things. Your reality says I'm not loved. Your reality says I don't feel loved, but truth, truth says you are. Your reality says I'm not a daughter. Your reality says I'm not a son. Your reality says nothing in my life looks like what you're telling me I am. That's your reality. But the truth is, is that you're a son or you're a daughter of the highest. Our, our job as believers, what God's expectation of us is, what does the Father require of me? He requires the passionate pursuit of everything he says, including who he says about you. I was just talking with someone in the last few weeks, and I was saying that God sets a spectrum up over our life. He sets a standard up over our life. He calls you son on the first day. He calls you daughter on the first day. He doesn't think about it. Immediately, your daughter. But you may be further down the timeline. You may be way back here. The identity that he just said over you is over there. What he's expecting you and I to do is to pursue that identity. To spend the rest of our life moving, living, thinking, acting towards the identity that he's put over us. Confronting the barriers, confronting the lies, everything like that. Nothing in your life changes who he says you are. We pursue truth until truth becomes our reality. You keep chasing truth, and if you do it long enough, truth comes into your world. It's true. It's an inevitability. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. As long as the Christian pursues the promise of God and is willing to deal with the issues that God, that, that, willing to confront the barriers that exist or willing to confront the lies that they believe. Most Christians believe lies. Of course, we would never believe that. We would never honestly acknowledge that. But the truth is we do. We subconsciously believe lies. And those subconscious lies are what affect the relationship that we have with God. It's just true. 
We believe we're lies that we're not loved, we're not wanted, that God's not good. All of these, all these lies, and we have to confront those. If we're willing to confront those, the truth of everything that God has said, if you will pursue it, will come to you. Everything he said will come to pass, provided that you were willing to pursue it. Provided that you were willing to not give up. The only way Christians lose is if they quit. That's the only way. Be not in weary and well-doing, for in due season you will reap what? If you faint not, if you don't quit. Do not be weary in the pursuit of all that God has set before you. For in due season you will have what he has told you you can have if you don't quit. So there's a required response and action on our part. There's a required pursuit on our part. There has to be a diligence on our part and an unwillingness to quit no matter what. That, that's really the game. You know, quitting's easy. Quitting is very easy. Can I get a witness? It's way easier to quit than it is to keep going. And you know who's going to help you quit? The devil will help you quit every time. He brings it to you on a platter, Joe. Here, Joe. You did the best you could, man. Yeah, hey, you know what I'm saying? He brings it to you and he says, nobody could fault you. You tried 10 times. You, you can quit with honor. You can quit with integrity. Who's going to fault you? You did the best you can. He serves it up to you. And he'll give you all the excuses you want attached to that. And he'll give you every reason to quit. He'll point, look at this, and look at, look at what this is costing you. Look at what this is doing. Oh, the, the price you've paid. Oh, the things you've endured. How much longer are you going to keep doing this to yourself? How much longer? <laughs> Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. I tell this to Christians all the time. I tell it to pastors. You take a blood oath. Your oath before the Lord is a blood oath. You know what that means? You're faithful unto death. Following Jesus bleeds you white. Then so be it. This is the radical calling of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. We're not trying Jesus. We belong to him. And our lives are his. And we are to pursue him with everything that we have. No matter what it takes. No matter what we have to change. Including the way that you think. Biggest barrier to believers is what the way they think. They, they're just, we're trained, we train the Christian to think a certain way. The way that God wants to train us, and I believe this is something he's doing in our generation. It's going to take some time. And he's going to take the right people. But the way God wants to train us is to think from heaven to earth. That's, and what in the world does that mean? That's the point, isn't it? That's the pursuit. The mind of Christ is the way that we're supposed to think. And any way that we think outside of the mind of Christ is to be eliminated. Every high thing that exalts itself against what he says is to be torn down. Any method of thinking, any manner of thinking, any habit of thinking, and this is completely, and I have nothing to do with my notes, but I, I'm like, you want me to keep going? He's like, keep going, keep going. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to go. We have to change these things about ourselves, and we have to be willing to confront it. The world, I'm part of church culture, so I've been a part of church culture for a long time, and I know how they've trained me, and I know when I'm trained to think a certain way. I'm trained to respond a certain way. All those things are good. Some of you have been in the military. You're trained to think a certain way. You're trained to respond a certain way. When this happens, you do this. Some of you are corporate. There's procedures. There's policies. You're trained to react to certain things that present themselves as they present themselves. You do this as you do this. You know, we're trained that way. And the church has done a really good job of training us in that regard. And most of it's helpful. But it becomes a problem when it's a barrier to what God is actually wanting to do. If God wants to take something and speak something over your life or call you to something or do something, we have to learn to think from his world into ours. And that's what really brings our transformation. Do you agree? Even if you agree, just by faith agree. I'm not sure if I agree, but by faith I'm going to agree. Because it's true. This is what's going to change you. Many of you in this room, you have destiny over you. Destiny's on you. The fact that you're in Christ, you are destiny covered. 
it, it's just you're it's just it's all over you. You're smeared with it. The word Christian is Christite, means anointed. The word anointed means to be smeared. <laughs> you're smeared. You're anointed. I don't feel anointed. You are. You're anointed. Destiny's on you. Heaven is on you. Calling is on you. Purpose is on you. Mantles, mandates, callings, anointings, all of those things. All of those things are on your life. We have mantles for different things. We have mandates for different things. We have callings for different things. And we have an anointing that empowers us for, for, for those things. It's all different. It's the same God calling us all towards the same, or it's a common goal. To manifest his kingdom. To reveal our father to the world. You know? We did this public, I mean, there's no way I'm shutting down a church. I told Sherry, says, like, I'm like, there's no way. I don't care if I'm the only one. I'll play some videos and, you know, <laughs> I'll talk to the wall if I have to. I mean, like, I see that hand in the name of Jesus. Yes, we bless you. I'm going to prophesy over here. I'll, you know, I don't know. I'll do something. But I don't know. There's no way. I mean, what kind of testimony? We're people of faith and not of fear. Right? And I, I love the prayer. We do not bow to that virus. It's an interesting. It's a coronated virus, a crowned virus. As if it's exalting itself, bringing and casting the whole world into fear. <laughs> I get it. Wash your hands. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, the truth is they, they don't have a vaccine. They don't have anything. The only thing they're going to do is like, okay, drink some Gatorade and lock you in a room for a few days. That's, that's about it. It's no, it's no, it, I mean, have we not experienced any of this before? Has anyone here not experienced this? I get it. It's transmitted. I understand all of those dynamics. I, I get it. I get it. But there are things that are far worse in the world than coronavirus. True. I think it was Darfur or, or even uh, one of the, just, just a few years back. I mean, you, you all are from Africa. Was it 400,000 people, the Hutu Tutsi? Do you remember? I don't know if you, you, you know, when, six million in the Congo. How, in what period of time? Four year war in the Congo, six million, there's a six million person genocide. Have you heard of it? Yeah, a few of you have. The Hutu and Tutsi tribes had a, had a, had a war. They, almost 400,000 people were killed in less than 10 days. Where's the outrage? Where, where's the world coming around that? Where's the world coming together to, to, to challenge these things and do these things? I mean, the level, the, the, level the, the, the way that we think is just completely wrong, you know? And we, we need to address greater problems. And this is a problem I understand. that I, I'm not diminishing it. So some of you are like, you don't diminish it, Pastor. I'm not diminishing it. But in the scale of importance, we'll fight for, we'll fight for sanitary wipes or those bleach wipes. We fight for those. But does anybody fight for their salvation? You know? We'll spend two hours trying to find a gallon of bleach when Jesus is at the door. It's true. The bleach isn't going to save you. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to save you. Christ saves you. You know, and I like what Diana was quoting to you. Hear the verses that she was quoting here. No plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. What plague? No plague will come nigh thy dwelling. In the book of Exodus, when the plagues were falling down upon Egypt, there was a place called Goshen, and that's where God's people were. There was no plague in Goshen. Not one cow died. Not one firstborn was struck. Nobody. God is able to preserve his people in the midst of the worst calamities the world. The world. We're, not, we're not of that. Are we these people or are we not? We have to make up our mind what we are. Are we in Christ or are we not? Are we part of his kingdom or are we part of the world's culture? These are just decisions that we have to make in our house. And if this is who we are, 
then we need to live according to who we are. We're sons and daughters of the highest. We should not reflect fear ever. This is a great moment for the church to voice. In the name of Jesus, we're going to do a live prayer broadcast. We're getting media set up here, man. I'm super stoked. We are going to be doing media. And I, I mean, I just had a meeting yesterday and I was fired up. And I've been believing God that God would bring the right people. Now God's bringing these people that understand this. And so we'll do live broadcasts. We're doing a live prayer broadcast right now. And we're praying for the coronavirus. And we're going to pray and we're going to stream it. <laughs> and we're just going to let it rip, man. We're going to let it rip. That's the kind of stuff we're going to We'll see what happens. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to do my notes. I'm going to do my notes. I'm going to do my notes. We're going to talk about the rapture of the church. Anybody ever heard of that? The rapture of the church. What does it mean? Harpezo. So this is part three of a three-part lead-in. So if you missed part two, I'm going to try to recap. Or parts one and two, I'm going to try to recap. But you might get a little lost in the translation. I hope not. But anyway, this is part three. So rapture is a word called harpezo. And it means to be grabbed quickly, to be claimed, or to be caught up. The idea is that somebody snatches something out of the fire. Like something you possess goes in the fire. And you ever, anybody ever had that happen? You know, you pull it right out of the fire or something falling off the counter and you grab it quickly. Something important to you, right? It also means to be claimed. And so when Jesus comes, the the argument is always, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. No, it doesn't appear in the Bible. The word rapture, literally. But the Greek word harpezo does. And that's where they get the idea of they're caught up. Jesus will catch us. He will pull us up. It's actually one of the things in Passover. I will take you to myself. The final cup at Passover is never drank because the Lord is taking, we wait for that cup. You might remember that story, right? Jesus is going to, we're going to drink. I will not drink this cup anew until I drink it with you in the kingdom. He stopped. There's four cups in Passover. The third cup's the cup of redemption. He drinks the third cup, but he doesn't drink the fourth because the last cup is I will take you to myself. What is he, what is he alluding to? He's alluding to the rapture. I will drink a cup with you when I take you to myself, when I fully bring you to me. Me and you, we're going to drink. We're going to have a party. She's going to have a party. Crazy. Isn't that nuts? Scripture reveals that this will happen. It reveals a sequence of events leading up to it. So there's a sequence of events. People go, we don't know the day and the hour, so it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does matter. The Bible tells us that we're not in darkness, that that day should overtake us as a thief. The Bible says it will overtake the world as a thief, but you are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, to those who are willing to listen... Most Christians are like, oh, there's nothing more divisive than the timing of the rapture. Everybody divides over it. People think it's inconsequential. It's a mega theme. A mega theme. Almost 90 verses in the Bible are, are, are devoted to this. Over. It's considered a mega theme in Scripture. The return of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The coming of Christ. It's a, it's a mega theme. Love would be a mega theme. That's to say that love's not, love's not important. We need to preach on love. We need to preach on forgiveness. We need to preach on salvation. We need to preach on restoration. But this is also an element that needs to be taught. Huge subject. Scripture reveals a sequence of events that will indicate it. So in other words, if we're alive during this timeline, we're going to notice a sequence of events that should kind of wake us up a little bit. We should go, oh, wait a second. That looks familiar. Why will there be a rapture? Because Jesus will allow the humanistic, the the world is under a humanistic viewpoint, right? So we have world, we have cosmos, which is the culture of the world. We have church culture and we have kingdom culture. And everybody aligns themselves somewhere along that spectrum. You're either of the world, 
There's a lot of Christians that are of the church culture. We happen to be a church that's of the kingdom culture. So we reflect things as God sees it from heaven to earth. That's our heart. A lot of times there's church culture with traditions and different things. You know, we sprinkle, we baptize, we teach this, even though we don't agree with it, we teach it anyway. Well, the Bible says something different, but our tradition says that this is what we're supposed to teach. That's church culture. Our culture is kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we operate. That's how Jesus operated. Jesus didn't play with the traditions of men. I don't know if you realize that. He came into a Jewish tradition that he was well-versed in. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, he knew everything that they knew. He knew all the way that they did it. And he said, what shall I say to you? You're like children in a marketplace that play a flute and expect me to dance. You sing mourning songs and songs and and like songs of lament. You want me to cry with you. And you get mad at me because I don't dance to your tune and I don't cry when you want me to. In other words, I'm not on your agenda. This isn't why I am. I didn't come. This isn't. I'm not here to preserve a culture. I'm here to release one. That's the idea. And so the rapture is going to happen because God is going to let this humanistic culture, which is what it is. The lie of the garden was that you can be your own God. God's going to let it reach its apex and it'll be found in the apex of an antichrist. Man will worship man. We've done it for for generations, but this will be the ultimate issue of mankind worshiping mankind. There'll be one man, an antichrist, that men will worship, and it will come. It will come out of the. uh, It'll reach the pinnacle of human government. Out of human government, this person will rise, and this person will rise and exalt himself against all that is God. He will allow that to happen. Jesus will come to claim what is his. You belong to him. Did you know that? You belong to him. You, he are loved by him. He, so, he loves you so much and he is going to come. And when that time period initiates and that's that period of time, Jesus said it will come upon the earth. Such tribulation has never been, nor will ever be again. You think world war two was bad. This is, this is nothing. He said it would, it will be a time that has never happened, nor will it ever happen again. And as that time period moves upon the earth, God will take his own. He takes his own. He comes for you. He doesn't leave us in these, in that situation. He, and he will make an entrance that's worthy of a king. I love it. <laughs> I want to be alive when he comes. Not because like, I, I just want to see him come through the sky. I just want to see it, man. You know, he was born in a manger and we've glorified that scene, you know, cause we've told the story time and again, time and again, but he was born unknown, unknown. They, the angel had to tell the shepherds where he was. Nobody knew he, where he was. The star was over him, yes. The kings of the east came to him, yes. All of these things are true. And so we kind of celebrate it. But if you really understand, the king came into the earth understated. He came born poor. It's again to understand who he is. Who is he? He didn't come in flowing robes worthy of a prince's palace, even though he was. He came and he lowered himself beneath the lowest point of humanity. He was born homeless. <laughs> Why? Because it's pretty bad. If you're homeless, you know what I'm saying? You know, destitute for no reason, destitute at all. So Jesus came as born homeless, born to a teenage unwed mother, 16 year old woman. Mary was unwed reputation. You know, he got married. She got married, but he didn't know her as his wife. The wedding technically wasn't consummated until after Jesus was born. Why? He has no problem identifying with shame. Unwed mothers, no problem. Unwed teenage mothers, no problem. He identifies with the pain, the suffering, and the lowliness. He's not advocating it. Don't think Jesus is like, I'm all for unwed mothers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but I understand. I'm with you. 
He identifies with us. He identifies with us. He comes in that level. What the point is, is that Jesus, in order to lift us higher, he has to come beneath our lowest point. That's the only way he can lift us higher. And Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension was all about him coming beneath us and giving us the power to come higher. Let him come into the lowly parts of your life and he will lift you higher. Don't forbid him. Jesus wants to come in there, let him in. Jesus wants to come into your pain. Jesus wants to come into your suffering. You're not alone. Bring him in. Don't hold him out. Bring him in. Whatever you're dealing with, bring him in. Why? Because he's the only one with the power to lift you up. He elevates you. This is all about. We elevate Jesus and Jesus is elevating us. That's the whole point. He comes to make an entrance that's worthy of a king. Ah. The Bible is so cool. We're going to talk about this like this, you know, and it's just so cool when you hear, when you read, I'm like, what in the world does that mean, man? And I don't know, but it sounds amazing. The would say this, the return of Jesus, don't have to understand it, just say it. The return of Jesus is in relationship to Daniel's 70 week prophecy. We talked about this a few weeks ago. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's praying and he's asking the Lord, how long until we get let out of Babylon? We're trapped in Babylon. The prophecy was for us to be here 70 years. And the angel shows up and goes, look, the Lord told me to give you another message. That 70 years, you all are going home. It's going to happen real soon. But let me tell you about another series of 70s. And he said, 77s are prophesied against your people or for your people or towards your people. And what he was saying, and I don't have time to go through the whole text, but it was 70 periods of seven weeks or 70 periods of seven years. So seven years for seven times, 70 times seven. It would sound familiar, significant number, forgiveness, consummation, all that stuff. So 70 times seven. So 70 periods of seven years are prophesied. Two different things are going to happen. So say this with me, 70 periods of seven years divided into two parts, both begin with a treaty. So let's just look at this. Okay, go to the next slide. So my phone turned off. I don't know why. My grandson's on there. There he is. <laughs> so the first, the, first week, the first week began with a treaty. So they're, they're in Israel. Israel is in Persia. And he tells, he, the, the, uh, the angel tells Daniel the prophet, he said, the king, there's going to be a king, he's going to sign a treaty. Everybody say, sign a treaty. He's going to let the Jews go home and build Jerusalem, not the temple. So they were still in Persia. The, the Jews were going back to, to, to Israel. They were rebuilding the temple, but they did not have permission to rebuild the city. He's telling Daniel, there will come a time, there's going to come a king. He's going to r- sign a decree, and he's going to let you go home to build the city. When he b- tells you to go home and build the city, the clock will start. That's what he told him. When King the, when Artaxerxes, or the, he didn't tell him who it was, but he said, when the king signs the decree that allows you to leave, the nation to leave, and go home and rebuild their city, not their temple, but their city, he said, that's when the clock will start. That will, that will take, from that point, there will be 62 plus 7, which is 69, or 173,880 days on a, on a 360-day calendar year. The Jews operate on a 360-day calendar. It would be 173,880 days. So he says, from this point, when that king signs that paper, 173,880 days, the Messiah Nagib will be cut off. That's what he said. Messiah, the prince, will be cut off, but not for himself. 
In other words, he's not going to be cut off because of something him. He'll be cut off for other people and it will to do one thing, to put an end to sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to anoint the most holy. So there's certain things that Jesus did that Jesus, that the Messiah Nagib was going to do. And he tells Daniel, get a calendar, get a, get a, get a day planner. And I want you to write this down in 173,880 days from that King's decree, the Messiah will come. He will be anointed as King and he will be cut off. I don't know if you ever read this, like if you ever wondered, like in the Gospels, um, when you read, there was almost like a fury, like they were just, there's like a frenzy for the Messiah. You know, John's baptizing in the wilderness. And I mean, at that period of time, it was like this heightened expectation. Why was there a heightened expectation? The heightened expectation was because they knew they were close to 173,880 days. They knew it because God had given them a mathematical prophecy. They knew it. So they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. He even rebuked the Pharisees. He says, because you could not discern the hour of your visitation. You mathematicians, you students of the law, you know what time period you're in. You discern the sky by the sun, but yet you can't discern the hour of your visitation. You know, you know, I'm here. You know, I am. But the prophecy isn't related to the Messiah himself. The prophecy is related to Messiah the Prince or Messiah the King. He said 173,880 days from this decree, Messiah the King will be cut off. Anybody know your Bible? Okay. If you do, if not, that's okay. It's what we're here for. Is that Jesus never allowed them to call him King. You remember that? How many times he wanted to call him King? Jesus would leave. They want to call him King? Jesus would leave. Only two times in the scripture he allowed himself to be called King. The first one was exactly 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes. On March the 4th, 445 BC, Artaxerxes Longeminus. Say this with me. Artaxerxes Longeminus. It means long-handed. I guess the guy had a big hand. So Artaxerxes, the Persian king with the big hands. That's the guy. He issued a decree allowing the Jews to rebuild the city. On April the 6th, 32 AD, exactly, exactly 173,880 days from that decree, Jesus enters the city riding on a donkey. And for the first time, he lets the people call him king. For the first time, he lets people publicly call him king. Why wouldn't he publicly allow him to be king? Because the public declaration that he is king is directly related to that prophecy. And so he would not allow them to call him king until the hour was struck and, he was, and it was time. And when it was time, he comes lowly riding on a donkey. He fulfills, rejoice, O daughter of Zion, shout with Jerusalem, behold your Nagib, same word, is coming to you, just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. 173,880 days from the decree. <laughs> the second time he allowed himself to be called king was when he was on the cross. Right? The sign said, here hangs Jesus, what? That's right. Two times in history, or two times in Jesus' ministry, he allowed himself to publicly be called king. There were some discussions with Peter, you know, Messiah, my God, and my king. You know, there's some things like that. But he never allowed a public declaration of his kingship. Except when he came into Jerusalem. <laughs> and except when he was on the cross. And remember the Pharisees? They wanted that sign down. Remember? They're like, take that sign down. Says he's the king. Take it down. He's, Pilate said, it is what I have said. He is your king. And Jesus is hanging on a cross. He could, you don't think he could have told him, hey, look, guys, uh, could you take this sign down? You're like, he's suffering and dying on the cross. Yeah, he's also delegating. He's also telling John, hey, listen, I want you to take care of my mother. 
And mom, I don't want you to worry because I know you don't have anybody. John's going to take care of you. So yeah, Jesus is dying on the cross, but he's not thinking about himself. Even on the cross, he's delegating. He's taking care of his mother. He's taking care of the whole situation. He's like, look, here's what I'm doing. You don't think he could have said, hey, 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 hey. I'm going to be dead here in about three hours. Could you guys take this sign down for me? No one takes his life from him. He gives it away freely. He gave his life away. This wasn't poor suffering Jesus. He willfully did it. So he was in control the whole time. Only twice he allowed himself to be king, fulfilling the the prophecy of Daniel precisely. So here's my point. Jesus will return at the end. Of, he will return within the 70th week. Somebody says, when in the 70th week? From the midpoint to the end, somewhere in between there, he cuts the days short. So no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. We don't know. It's not any minute of any day of any hour. I'm going to show you that in a second. You might believe that. That might be where you're at. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. There's nothing more divisive within the timing of the rapture. All churches divide, they go to war, throw it down. I was with a group of churches that are like, you'll never be a pastor here. I was an assistant pastor. But you will never be allowed to have your own church if you don't agree with this. I mean, it was like a line item thing on the, on the rapture. I'm like, well, I don't agree with it. And people were like, oh, can't you just go along with it? Can't you play ball? Can't you just do this? You know? I'm like, I'm not doing it. I don't see it in the word. For me to sign a covenant with you guys that said I believe this... It's not, I believe Jesus is returning, and his return is, is, is imminent, meaning it will happen. Not imminence, but eminent, you know. His return will happen. Okay, I can sign that, but the, you have to sign this line item. I couldn't do it. So the pastor sits me down, brings all these guys in, starts talking to me about all this stuff. And, and I, I asked them to show it to me in the Word, and they, didn't, they couldn't show it to me. I asked them to refute what I was telling them. They couldn't refute it. And not because I'm sitting here being arrogant and I want to be right, but I'm like, show me if I'm wrong. I know I'm not wrong, but show me if I am. They couldn't show me I was wrong. They kept painting stories and telling me all these these things. I said, I don't want to hear stories. I want to hear verses. Don't tell me some story. Don't paint me fantasy land. Don't tell me this and that and the other thing. Just give me the clear verses. And they couldn't. And their conclusion, Kevin's unteachable. He's unteachable. I'm unteachable. I wanted to be, show me, man. That's all I'm trying to do. So my, my goal here is to be faithful. So Jesus, my point is, is that Jesus will return that 70th week of Daniel, that last seven year period we're in between. So the first 69 weeks have been fulfilled to the letter, to the letter, to the day. So we're in an interlude. So Christ was the Messiah was cut off. And then there's a period in between. We are in the in-between period. The 70th week of Daniel or the final hour or the final seven-year period, if you want to go that far, is, is when is, is, we're waiting for that. And the Bible gives us clear indicators of when that will start. It's not fuzzy. It's very clear. It's right in Scripture. You know, we dance around it. We paint around it. We tell stories about it. You know, and the church's relationship to that. But the Bible is very clear about the church's relationship to it. Very clear. It's not fuzzy. He will confirm a covenant with many. So the first one, say this, the first 69 weeks began with a treaty. The last seven, week, the last seven years will also begin with a treaty. So the king signed a treaty. Jesus said, start the clock. There's going to come a leader, an antichrist, who is going to come. And the Bible says this. He will confirm a covenant with many for what? Seven years. He's not just going to confirm a covenant with Israel. This is going to become a world leader who's going to make global treaties. 
So this isn't just one covenant. The only one that matters to Jesus is the one he makes with Israel. The rest of the covenants with the oil and the this and the that, he's going to make all kinds of global covenants. He's going to set up an economic system and he's going to make all these covenants all over the world. None of those matter to the Lord because there's only one that matters to the Lord is the one that he makes with Israel. And this one will cover, he will covet, he will make a covenant. And in the middle of the week, three and a half years after he makes this covenant, this guy's going to break it. And what will he do? He'll put an end to the sacrifice and the offering and at the temple. He will, be, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and is poured out upon him. He's going to proclaim himself to be God and he's going to cease all worship of all other people and all other places and all other things. He's going to stand in the temple of the most holy and he's going to declare himself that he's God. And the Bible says he's an abomination. That's an abomination. And this abomination, this antichrist, will make desolation. Or he's going to, from that point forward, he's going to bring forth a great destruction. Are you with me? Next slide. In order for this to happen, there are several things that need to be in place. The Bible says this, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city. So this is speaking of Titus did destroy the city. And, but he's saying to him that Christ will be cut off. Jesus is the Messiah Nagib will be cut off. And, the, and there will be a group of people from that point that will ultimately destroy the temple. They did. All of this has been fulfilled. But he indicates that the, that the prince of the ruler who will come, in other words, what ruler? The Antichrist, the guy that he was just talking about, is going to be of the people that destroyed the city. Well, who destroyed the city? Titus, right? Titus, the Roman, the Roman general, destroyed the, destroyed the city with a Roman army. He burned the city to the ground. He melted the gold. They, threw, they torched the temple. All the gold melted, went into the rocks. And so Titus is like, well, that was a smart move. And so they had to tear the temple out stone by stone. Why did they do that? To get the gold out. But you know really why they did that? Because Jesus told them not one stone will be left upon another. They're going to take this place down and not one stone will be left. Well, there's no reason to burn, just, just burn it out and move on. You know, there's no reason to take it down stone by stone. Seems like a waste of human resources. You know, what do we got to do? Well, the army's kind of tired and bored. Hey, get them to take that building apart. I mean, that's a good idea. That's not a, it's a terrible idea. They came for plunder, and when they realized that all the gold in the temple had melted into the stones, they took the stones apart, stone by stone, just like the Bible says. Isn't that wild, right? So the prince of the Roman Empire, who was the people who would destroy the, 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 the temple, he's going to be the prince of the Roman Empire. You're like, the Roman Empire doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. It does now. Anybody know what it's called? European Union. It's the, it's the territory. It's not talking about, he's not talking about Rome, the city of Rome. At that time, Rome was at the height of its power. And the whole region of Europe was under his sway. The whole area, all the way to Turkey, through Greece, all the way to, up to Spain, and even down into North Africa. All of that was under the sway of the Roman Empire. All of it. And so Jesus is saying the prince of those people, what people, the people that are under the influence of that nation, what the Bible is telling us, this didn't happen. Anybody know when the EU was formed? 1991. They signed, they signed a pact in 1958, but they didn't form the European Union until 1991. Everybody say it in my lifetime, in your lifetime, in your lifetime. Rome has been dismantled for over a thousand years. I mean, it divided, and then it just dismantled. And now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the year 1991, 
it reforms. It's not formed completely. It's It's formulating. So there's a lot of coagulation that's going on in the EU. Used to go there a lot back in the day. And so, and I was there when it was Germany and then it made the switch to the EU. I was there. My wife was working a lot in Germany. She's a model. So we were going over there and working in Germany and I just, I handled the money. I was kind of like, okay, so we're going from Deutschmarks to Euros. I remember the time when every, when all the money was changing over, when the German mark was changing to Euro and everything like that. I remember that time and everything. And they, and it was all, it was all shifting and everything was changing. That happened in my lifetime. That happened in your lifetime. So Rome has to be in place in order for there to be a prince of the ruler to come. So the Antichrist, he may not be of European ancestry. doesn't tell us that. But he will rule the EU. He's going to rule the EU. So the ruler that oversees the EU is going to start forming covenants with people all over the world, including he'll, he, he will be the guy that comes on the scene and goes, I got a peace plan that rocks all peace plans. And he'll be the one that brings peace to the Middle East. It will be a ruler out of the European Union. They keep saying the European Union is going to dissolve. No, it's not. No, it's not. The EU has to be there. In your lifetime, this has happened. The second thing that's got to happen, Israel has to be a nation. He has to be able to to, to form a covenant with the national people of Israel when Israel wasn't a nation. The diaspora. They divided the Jews. And for over almost, I don't know what the, what the time period is, but it's a lot of years. I think it's over. Anybody help me out? How, many, how, how long was the diaspora? Do you know? 1,500 years. Yeah. So for 1,500 years, I was going to say 17. For 1,500 years, the Jewish people didn't have a nation. They didn't have a nation. The Hittites have been gone for probably a long time, but they, they didn't reform into a nation. You know, there's a lot of nations that have been gone away and never reformed, but the Jews reformed 1500 years later. And you know when they reformed 1948, Israel became a nation in 1948 within, if not your lifetime, your parents' lifetime or your grandparents' lifetime. They took Jerusalem in 1967. So they took the in, they took the nation in 1948 and they took Jerusalem in 1967 again within our spectrum of lifetime. Most of us. These events have happened within a short amount of time. Things that would never happen. This, in order for, the, for, that, for that 70th week of Daniel to be fulfilled, these things have to happen. Well, we look back on it and we go, what's the big deal? Well, I'll give you a big deal. The Bible says there has to be a temple on the Temple Mount. Is there a temple in Jerusalem? What are the odds of there being a temple in Jerusalem? <laughs> Negative 2,000. Somebody said, you know, it's, it's, it's next to impossible. The Jews, don't, the Jews control Jerusalem, but they don't control the Temple Mount. Who controls the Temple Mount? The Muslims. The Muslims have control over the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock is there. Jews are allowed to visit, but they're not allowed to open their mouth. A Jew must walk in silence on the Temple Mount, lest they utter prayers. True. So what do you think the odds are that the Muslims are just going to wake up one day and go, hey, you guys can rebuild your temple on the mountain. What do you think the odds are? Pretty low. So the odds, the odds in like, let's say, your grandparents' lifetime to re, for, for Europe to unite would be like impossible. Now we do it, so we just kind of shrug and go, yeah, it's always been there. The odds of Israel becoming a nation was n- zero. The odds of Israel actually taking Jerusalem was impossible. Impossible. If you know anything about the Six-Day War, they were outnumbered like 10 to 1. Am I with you? They were, out, they were insurmountable odds. 
They fought a war for six days to take Jerusalem and they were overwhelmingly outnumbered, but they won. <laughs> There's stories of them hearing things. You, you know these stories? Anybody know these stories? There's stories of the, of the Arab armies hearing things. They heard marching and sound of tanks and everything. And I think it's Gideon. Gideon, the Lord told Gideon, wait until you hear the sound of marching in the treetops. And when you hear the marching of the sound of the treetops, move. So the God of the God, God began to put the marching of the sound of the Arabs were like, what is going on? There's like tanks everywhere. It's in the Old Testament too, where Gideon was going to fight up an insurmountable odds. And the Lord said, wait till you hear marching in the treetops. And when you hear marching in the treetops, send the signal. Crazy stuff, man. The Jews will rebuild a temple. How will they rebuild a temple? Because somebody's going to make a covenant. Somebody's going to make an agreement. The Muslims will get something and the Jews will get something. The the Jews will probably give the Muslims something. They may give them Gaza. They may give them something. There's going to be a concession. The Jews will give a concession and they will get to rebuild their temple. Right now, Israel is secularized. So there's no, in in the hierarchy of the Israeli government, they don't really care about the temple. But the Hasidims do. The Hasidics do. And the Hasidics have become the majority in the Knesset for the first time ever. Israeli government is called the Knesset. For the first time ever, am I right on this, Jeremiah? For the first time ever, the Jews have become the majority in the Israeli Knesset. They, I remember say, reading about this in the 60s, and the, 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 the rabbis would say, we will breed our way into power. We will have children five to one. And within a generation, we will be the majority in this country, and we will breed our way into power. What are you going to do when you have an Israeli prime minister who's a Hasidim? Who's a Hasidic? It will happen. And they cut a deal with him where it says, will you give Gaza and the Muslims will let you build a temple on the mount? You think he's not going to do that? In a minute, he's going to do that. Because to them, that's everything. That, that is everything to them. And they will sign a covenant somewhere in this spectrum, maybe in your lifetime. You were certainly at the level of plausibility there will come a European Union that will, that will rise. It will, somehow there will be some configuration. He'll sign treaties. People go, Europe doesn't have an army. I go, Russia does. People go, Europe doesn't have an army. I say, China does. How do you know he doesn't sign a covenant with China? How do you know he doesn't sign a covenant with, uh, with, with uh, Russia? All European oil assets, we're going to take all our oil, our natural gas, all your resources. We're going to cut off all the other places and we're only going to get it from you. How do you know? They have a standing army. There's plenty of standing armies in the world. Europe doesn't need a standing army. <laughs> Even though they don't have one. They really don't. <laughs> they have like nothing. So if like you look at that and you go, well, what's Europe going to do? They don't really have an army. <laughs> there's, there's equipped armies around that he can easily make covenants with. This is all plausible stuff. It sounded like fantasy land 100 years ago, but it's not fantasy land now. The Jews can rebuild that temple in under 30 days. They've got plans. They, I told you that. As soon, you would be shocked at how fast that temple is going to go up. As soon as they say the temple can be rebuilt in Jerusalem, those guys are going to be on it. And within 90 days, I guarantee you that temple will be standing. It'll be tilt up construction. They won't cut a stone. They're forbidden from cutting stones. That's the other argument. How are they going to build a temple on the mount when the Bible forbids them from cutting stone on the temple mount? Easy. Precast construction, tilt it up. So when they used to build the temple, if there was a problem with the stone, they bring the quarry stone up. Hey, dude, you're off by like five millimeters. Take it back, Harry. And they had to take the stone all the way down off the mount, take it out in the field, quarry it, bring it all the way back because they were not allowed to cut stone on the mount. Is that wild? That's why you're going to see it. They're going to tilt it up. There'll be a temple. 
It'll, it'll be like lightning fast from the time they sign that covenant. You'll be, your head will spin. You'll be like, what? It's up already? <laughs> and it will be. They're ready to go. They're ready to go right now. They have everything ready to go. They're missing one thing, the ashes of the red heifer. That's what they use to sanctify the offer. That's the only thing they're missing. Isn't it interesting that they just discovered Mount Jabal? They just discovered the mountain of Moses, the true mountain of Moses. And at the, at the base of the mountain of Moses is all the altars where the first red heifer was sacrificed. I guarantee you they will go to that place at Mount Jabal and they, they will be this particular. They will DNA genetically, whatever, and they will extract ashes from that first altar of the red heifer. And they will sanctify the altar just as God, because they can't do it. They have to follow the letter. And there's the, the ashes of the red heifer are long lost. Not at Mount Jabal. Not in Arabia, where the mountain of God exists to this day. is <laughs> there. They will go there. They will get the ashes. They will sanctify it. And it will be exactly as God says. They will not break one tittle, one jot, one mark of that law that prescribes them. They will fulfill it exactly Exactly. It's all plausible. All today. These events will lead to a raider. So he'll build a temple. The Jews will begin to sacrifice. How do we know? Because the Bible says that he puts an end to the evening sacrifice, which means the sacrifices must be taking place. In order for him to stop it, it has to be started. In order for him to stand in the temple, there has to be a temple. In order for him to stand in the temple in Jerusalem, he has to stand on the temple in Jerusalem. It has to be there, or this prophecy will never be fulfilled. But I'm going to tell you right now, it will be. <laughs> Don't doubt it. And what happens is the Jews will begin to sacrifice. Can you imagine? Once you understand this, what, what it looked like at Passover, every Jewish family was required to bring a lamb. Every one. Every Jewish family was required to bring a lamb. Do you know how many Jewish families are in the earth today? Do you know when they, when they do that sacrifice? And they do it for the first time. How many Jewish families are going to show up there? Even the secular ones? Because for the first time in the history, in their ancestry, for the first time since the time of Christ, they will be sacrificing Passover lambs. There'll be lambs everywhere. The, Jew, the, the priests would walk and the ground would be sopped with blood. What's Passover about? Everybody says the lamb. Passover is not about the lamb. Passover is about the blood. They would openly sacrifice lambs openly and blood would run down. The priest's garments would be up to their knees soaked in blood. You ever drag your garment on the ground in water? And how that water just starts going up your thing? The priests, when they're white linen, they were to wear white. Why white? It seems like I'd wear red. You know what I'm saying? Because if I'm working with red, you know. But he wanted them to wear white because he wanted that blood to stand out. Passover was all about the blood. So he sacrificed. They were sacrificed. CNN will be there. World News Report. Whatever media outlet you prefer. Whomever it is. Some people will be there with Instagram. Sacrifice on the temple, smoke of the altar going up, priests will be washing in the laver just like they did. How many times will they get to do this? We don't know, but we know it'll happen at least once. Because he will do the sacrifice and then the, the, the leader will put an end, he'll break the oath. What will happen? He breaks the oath. He breaks the oath. He puts an end to all religious worship. He declares himself God in the sanctuary. When he breaks this oath, he's probably going to be breaking oaths with other nations. Because the Bible says when he breaks the oath, war is going to break out. Well, war is probably going to break out with Israel because he just broke their oath. But he's probably going to break a few oaths along the way. So there's going to be a lot of conflict. How do we know? Ezekiel 30, 29 and 30. 
can't remember the chapters. But the Bible says that the Antichrist has trouble from the south and he has trouble from the east. Where does that trouble come from? Because he broke oaths. This is the moment. He's breaking oaths. He's declaring himself. He probably went, some believe that he wins a victory and then he declares himself God. Others believe he declares himself God and then decides he's going to. So either way it happens, there's going to be an outbreak. There's going to be a conflict going to happen. Either scenario is perfectly, it it could happen either way. It could happen. He could break the oath before, go to war, win, and then say, I'm God. That seems a little likely. Or he could break the oath and then go to war and still win. And that could lead to the battle of Megiddo. That's where the Bible speaks of the Megiddo. There will be great, says, therefore, when you see the abomination, it makes of desolation and standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. So Jesus is telling him, when you see the Antichrist standing in the temple, declaring himself to be God, just like Daniel says, let him who understands, whoever reads this understand. Well, what are we supposed to understand? We're supposed to understand that this is happening in Jerusalem. That's what he wants. Whoever reads this understand. Well, okay, what am I understanding? This is happening in Jerusalem, in the temple. This is where this is going on. Understand that. And he says that, that, um, that let those who are in Judea flee. And he starts telling everybody that's around him to get, rid, get, get out of the way. He says, and after he declares himself be God, there will be great tribulation. The tribulation begins when the Antichrist declares himself God. Not before. Not before. The tribulation begins when he, people say when the Antichrist, the, 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 the tribulation begins with the revelation of the Antichrist. No, the tribulation begins when he declares himself God. How do we know? The Bible tells us. Why would they say the tribulation begins with the revelation of the Antichrist? Because Christians believe, this is not scripture, but it's taught, commonly taught, that the church will never see the Antichrist. That is completely, 100% not true. No one can biblically prove that the church will be gone before the Antichrist. It cannot be proven with clear scripture. It cannot. In fact, the contrary is true. The opposite is true. Jesus said, when you see the abomination, it makes desolation. He's talking to the Jews. This is the argument. I'll give you the argument. Theologically, this is where the the argument comes. Matthew 24 is written to the Jews. Can't say that. Because if you say Matthew 24 is written to the Jews, then Matthew 28 going to all the world is written to the Jews. It's true. You break in hermeneutics. You can't do that. So in order to take, in order to preserve the, the integrity of the text, you have to accept all things as equal. And so when Jesus says, when you see, he's talking to us. He, Paul's speaking to the Thessalonian church who's freaked out thinking that the rapture's already come. And he says to the Thessalonians, as I told you before, Thessalonians are not Jews. This is a hard time for pre-trib raptures, guys, because they don't know how to deal with this. And they always go, well, the, Jesus is talking about a mystery. That's why we don't understand it. It's a mystery. No, it's clear in the text. If it's clear in the text, we are to accept the clear reading of the text above everything else. So when the text is clear, as it's clear, we are to accept the clear reading of the text on face value. Paul said to them, as I told you before, that day, the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and the return of the Lord are the synonymous. Jesus returns, takes his church, and enacts and initiates the day of the Lord. That's when the bowl, the trumpet, all of those judgments begin. Jesus takes his church, and he initiates the wrath of God. The wrath of God does not begin with the Antichrist. The wrath of God does not begin with any of that. The wrath of God begins when Jesus appears, takes his church... The tribes of the earth lament, they mourn, fall on us. The day of his wrath has come, Revelation 6. When did the day of his wrath begin? Revelation 6. What happens in Revelation 6? Jesus appears and takes his church. Wrath begins. We following me? So we're not getting out of here if you're alive and well. It's not any minute of any hour at any day. And the church believes we have to teach this stuff because we have to compel people to follow Jesus out of fear. Well, what if he came today? What would you be doing? Are you ready? 
if he came today and got you and you were listening to Jay-Z, what would you tell him? You know, this is how we think. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm not compelled to follow Jesus out of fear. I came to Jesus out of fear. I was one of those guys. Repent, you're eternally lost. I'm like, take me. <laughs> but because I didn't understand love. But now that I understand love, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. We follow Jesus because love compels us, not fear. If you follow Jesus because love compels you, because you're under fear, you, you believe lies. And your relationship will never bloom and never blossom until you truly understand. I follow Jesus because I'm loved. I follow Jesus because I'm a son. And if I am truly a son, then I would be about my father's business. If you are truly a son and truly a daughter, you will be about nothing else but your father's business. That's, that's what we're supposed to be about. So my compelling to follow is my loving father has loved me and graced me and empowered me. Therefore, my life lives for nothing other than what he wants. What do you want, Lord? I'm about your business, not mine. That's the, that's the concept here. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus is not putting us under fear. The idea that put the church under fear that we got to compel people to stay in the church and follow Jesus because you never know when Jesus is going to come. I know when he's coming. Well, first of all, he's coming when I die and I'm going to meet him. Right? I know when I'm going to meet Jesus or he's, I'm going to meet him within the time period of, the, of that Antichrist signing a covenant inside of a temple. I'm telling you right now. That's the way it's going to work. I, I tell my children that. I tell my children, I look, I may not be here, but here's what I want you to know. And this is what you need to teach your children. This is what you need to, their, your ancestors to know. Is This is what you're looking for. When you see this world leader doing these things, that temple goes up, these things happen. You better, whatever, you, if you've not already got it together, you need to get it together now. You know? I mean, you need to know. Jesus said, when you see this, know that it is near, it is even at the door. When you see what? When you see the abomination that makes desolation standing at the prophet Daniel. There will be great tribulation. So this guy's going to initiate war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be death. He's going to kill people who oppose him, mainly Christians. Who do you think is going to be shouting him down as the Antichrist? You think the Jews are going to shout him down and call him an Antichrist? I don't think so. You think the Muslims are going to shout him down and call him an Antichrist? I don't think so. You think the culture and the media and the world governments are going to say he's an Antichrist? No, he's not. No, we're not. No, they're not. But the Christian will be. That's the Antichrist. Don't take the mark. Don't tattoo your forehead or whatever, you know. Don't do, the, don't do the encoding. Don't do it. And he will be against them. And what happens is, so here's the seals, the six, the six seals. Anybody know the six seals of Revelation? The scroll? You familiar with that at all? Scroll with seven seals? Seven seals, not six. The seventh seal is the cosmic disturbance. Or the sixth seal is the cosmic disturbance. So the Antichrist, that's seal one. He reveals himself for who he is. He breaks the covenant. What happens? War breaks out. What happens because of war? There's famine and there's death. Natural result of war. All of these things are natural occurrences. There's nothing supernatural here. This is not God's judgment. People say the the seals are God's judgment. No, they're not. When God judges, stars are falling out of the sky. Seas are evaporating. You know? I mean, read the trumpet and the bold judgments, and they are nothing like war and famine. It's like massively different. Massively different. The seals are the progression. Jesus says they're the labor pains that lead to the full birth. So the labor pains are the Antichrist shows himself for who he is. War breaks out. Because of war, there's a lack of food, famine, internment camps or refugee camps. And in those refugee camps, there's no food. There's often pestilence. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Again, very natural occurrence. And he's murdering everybody who opposes him. The Bible uses the word martyr which is actually the word that he uses for us. Same word, witness. The word witness means martyr. Why to witness as a martyr? Because you lay your life down. 
lay your, you lay your life down to serve your friends. You lay your life down. You lay down your dignity. You, all of that. So the same word that's used as Jesus' disciples, you shall be my witnesses, you shall be my martyrs, is the same word that's used here. He will murder the witnesses. He will murder the opposition. Who's he going to murder? Whoever he can find. You know, it's not going to happen in Washington, D.C., aren't you glad? Let who who reads understand. I don't want to say I'm glad about that, but I'm I'm glad about that. You know, it's like, so over there. Oh, yeah, it's going to center over there. It's going to happen. Not to say there's any things. And what happens at the sixth seal? So seal one, antichrist, seal two, war, seal three, famine, three, seal four, death, seal five, martyrs, seal six, sun, moon, and stars. Sixteen times in scriptures. Jesus is coming and he's going to announce himself in a way that's worthy. Bible says every eye will see him. Why will every eye see him? Well, if the sun turns to darkness, that's going to get your attention. Where are you going to look when the sun turns to darkness? You're going to be like this. What? What's going on? If the moon turns to blood, you're going to be like, wow, look at that. The moon turns to blood. The stars start falling from heaven. You're going to be like, the stars are falling out of the sky. You're all looking up. The Bible says the sun will be turned to darkness. The moon will be turned to blood. The stars will fall from heaven. He tells him in Matthew, the lightning will flash from the east to the west. And through that lightning, Jesus will come. The world will fall in a hush. The angel will blow the trumpet. And Jesus is going to shout, yeah. He shouts. That's nuts. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whimper. Is he coming with a whimper? He's not coming with a whimper. The Bible says, Revelation says he's on a horse in a robe that's dipped in blood with a golden sash, eyes that burn with fire and a sword proceeding from his mouth. And he's got his thigh out. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got a big tattoo on his thigh. He's got some serious quads, I'm sure, man. He's like, he's like let's check it out. Yeah, yeah, I had this done when I, when I ascended. Yeah. Man, there's an awesome tattoo artist. The angel, whatever, man, that dude is awesome with ink. This is where I got it done. I got it done over there with him right now. King of kings, Lord of lords, down his legs. Read it. You say, what does it mean? It says written. It says written. No, it's the word etched. The word etched is the same word that's used for that. It actually means graffiti or etching graffiti. It's the same thing. It's the same word that's used when you're on the palm of his hand. Same exact word. Etched upon his thigh. Etched upon his hand is your name. Tattooed. Engraved. Engraved upon the palm of his hand is your name. Say so he's got a pretty big hand, yeah. Your name's there. He's like, yeah, I got you. You're right here. I got you in the palm of my hand, Caesar. You're right here. I got you. I see you. I know where you are. You're right here. I got you, Marcus. You're up here. I got you here. Got you here, Ruth. I got you here. Got you here. Got you here. He knows where everybody is. He's got them all in the palm of your hand. That's how close you are to him. He knows you. Lord, do you know me? Absolutely, I know you. I can't spend a day without looking at you. I can't spend a day without knowing your name. I know who, the Bible says he knows who are his I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I saw that in a nursery one time. We shall not all, be, we shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed. Diapers, you know, kind of thing. Anyway. In a moment with the twinkling of an eye in the last trumpet. So the trumpet's going to blow, and in a moment, the Bible says this. The trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise. So literally, how this is playing out, cosmic disturbances, sun, moon, and stars, the earth waxes silent. There's a period of silence, the Bible says, in heaven and earth. The dead are like flying up out of their graves. People will ask, well, what about those who were cremated? What about those? I, I'm so, I think he's got it handled, right? He, he, can, he can reanimate from molecules, from mist, from dust. Even long ago, he'll summon it from the ends of the earth if necessary, but he will reanimate. 
You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So we're going to watch the dead go up. You're going to be like, what? Try to hold on to a skeleton. Let me go with you. No. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised first. They will go before the living and we will be changed. We will be caught up in the air and we will be changed. Corruption will put on incorruption. Here's my favorite part. I love this. Mortal, huh? Will put on immortality. What? That's crazy. Are we getting super suits? That's my question. I don't know what this means, man, but you're going to be immortal. You're spiritually, when you die, you're with him, but he is going to give you an immortal body. The Bible says that this mortality cannot inherit what he has, but Jesus is bringing a kingdom. A physical kingdom is coming with him, not a spiritual kingdom, a physical kingdom. And in that physical kingdom, you're not just going to be floating around like some angel in the air. You're going to be given a physical body that's immortal. You won't die. I have a few questions on that. Do we get to select what we get? You know, I want the Bugatti version, Lord. That's the one I'm looking for. Well, Sherry, she wanted the Ferrari version, so we get, well, no, but I'm going for the Bugatti. I'm, th- I'm kind of thinking that one there, maybe the Maserati over here. I mean, I don't know what kind of styles he's got, but do we get to pick what we get? I mean, I, I don't know, but we become immortal. This corruption puts on incorruption. Mortal puts on immortality. And this will be brought to pass saying that death, the fullness of death is swallowed up in victory. This is the final victory. Next slide. This is going to happen at the rapture. Jesus is going to show. Everybody's got. Do I have your attention now? Sun, darkness, moon, blood, stars. Everybody looking. Everybody paying attention. (sighs) Lightning, trumpet, shout, angels coming down. People going up in the air. Got to get yourself a rapture towel. So I told you. Get yourself a rapture towel. Have it ready. Angels come. Say, what if I'm at work? Then have the angel say, have the angel get in your car and drive by Walmart. Get yourself a rapture towel. You know what I mean? See if they got any super suits in there. So if you see me going up, if we all go up together and you see me going up in like a Batman suit with the feet torn out, you know, like a little kid's suit, something I could squeeze myself into, don't be laughing because I'm going up, man. When that happens, it's on. Concerning the day of our Lord and a gathering to him would not be soon shaken or troubled to the spirit as this day of Christ will come. Let no one deceive you by any means. Everybody say it with me. Let no one tell me anything different. That's what Paul's saying. So what does he say? That day will not come unless there's a falling away and the man of sin is revealed. So let me just go back to the first thing. Let nobody tell you anything differently than what I'm telling you. That day, people say the coming of the Lord and the, the day of the Lord and the rapture are two different things. And no, they are not. No, they are not. We pick it up. We go away for seven years. We come back. No, we don't. The day of the Lord initiates with the rapture of the church, the taking of the church, and the judgment comes upon the earth. The pouring out of the bulls, the trumpets, everything else. It's not, they're, not, they're not different. They're synonymous. That day will not come unless you see a falling away and you see a man of sin, perdition who opposes himself and exalts himself above God and all that is worship and sits in the temple of God. There's the abomination that makes desolation, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I taught you this? In other words, we had a few Bible studies on this, guys. But you're writing to me again because you're concerned. But let me tell you again, this isn't going to happen. Don't, I don't care who's telling you what. Dr. So-and-so has written a bunch of books that Jesus is coming. I don't care what Dr. So-and-so says. Let no one tell you anything other than what I'm telling you. There will be a great falling away. Why will there be a falling away? One of the reasons I believe there's going to be a falling away because the church is married to this idea that Jesus is going to come at any minute of any hour of any day. And then when the Antichrist comes and all of this stuff goes down, they're going to freak out. And they're going to go, it's not true. He didn't come. They won't even probably perceive it as the end of the age. But that's, that's a real good reason 
Why? That's why they couldn't receive Jesus when he came the first time around, because they were expecting him to be a conqueror. Their expectations of him were misplaced. And they couldn't accept him as what he was or who he really was because they had built an expectation around him. The church has built this expectation around the coming of Jesus that's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. So what does that mean? Is he coming into me? Look, when you see an antichrist, you see a temple, all that stuff. Hey, you know. But until then, live unto Jesus. Live unto Christ. Live unto him. Prepare yourself. Glory in him. Know who he is. Live towards your destiny. Now him who is restraining will be revealed in his own time for the mystery of Rawlsis is already working. In other words, the atmosphere of the Antichrist is already circulating. Already circulating. But the fullness of this delusion is being restrained. Revelation 12, Daniel 12 speaks of the restrainer who is restraining the fullness of that which is to come. The Bible says that the restrainer will get out of the way and the fullness of this, of this time will come. And with the fullness of this time will come a delusion. There will be a strong delusion reached on the whole earth that even if it's possible, the elect could be deluded or deceived. In other words, it's not possible for those to be in truth to really go along with the program. How many knows the world goes along with a lot of programs? And we're like, don't you see this? You, you all don't see this. You know, the emperor has no clothes here. What are, we, what are we doing? You know, but people just buy into things wholesale without any consciousness of it. And there, this will happen. The coming of the lawless one according to the working of Satan. He'll be an embodiment of Satan. Signs and lying wonders. He'll be doing miracles. He'll be powerful things. People are like, ooh, ah, that was cool. And for this reason, God will send strong delusion among them. In other words, what it's saying is that they don't want the love of the truth. In other words, they've had opportunity to receive Christ. They've heard the gospel. They've said no a thousand times. They say no another thousand times. And the Lord says, this is when Jesus literally gives them what he wants. They're asking for it. They don't want Jesus. They don't want the Lord. It says that because they don't receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For that reason, God will send strong delusion among them that they should believe the lie. In other words, you want lies? Have them. And they become enraptured into the lie. That they may all be condemned, that it may be revealed for those that didn't love truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Very sobering. Next slide. Are you ready to make Jesus? This is the question. So I have two, two final things for you. Number one. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to pray. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive him. But if you do know Jesus, my answer to you or my statement to you would be rise to the level of your birth. Rise to the stop. Stop playing this game, man. I don't know what that game is you're playing, but stop playing the game. What does it look like? It looks like this. The night say this with me. The night is far spent. Oh, we can do better than that. The night is far spent. Come on. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore. I will cast off the unfruitful works of darkness. Say this, whatever they may be. Lord, show me what they are. I don't even have a clue. And let us put on the armor of light, which is my identity. Put on the armor of light. It's who you are. You're sons and daughters. Let us, I will walk properly in the day. I will not live with undisciplined behavior. And intoxication. I will not follow lewdness and selfish desire. I will not live in envy and division. That's what it means. Because the night is far spent, that day is coming. Let's get rid of all this stuff. Let's deal with our issues. Let's move forward. Let's embrace our identity. And let's stop playing what we are and be who we are. Let's be who we are. Amen? Amen. All right. So... I have this great fantasy, or not fantasy, this great 
ambition to teach stuff like this and then to take questions. But that's like way gone. I'm thinking, I'll leave like 15 minutes at the end and then I'll take questions. And that just doesn't happen. So anyway. <laughs> but let's pray, man. Let's receive Jesus. If you've never received Jesus, let's do it together. You say, I've already prayed this. Then the Bible says, then make your calling and election sure. Do it again. It's not going to hurt you. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's just a matter of belief. It doesn't have anything to do with understanding. It has a lot to do. Just believe. You can believe by simple, by a force of will. I choose to believe what I do not understand. Say this. Jesus. Come on, we'll say it together. Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I don't understand it all. But I choose to believe it. And because I believe it, I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. And speaking of the start of it, if you need prayer, we should have a prayer team available. If you need prayer for anything, we definitely will pray for you. We want you to also know, we'll discover Elevate if you want to come to that, but then also that you're loved. You are loved. Say this, God loves me. Elevate loves me. That's more than enough. And I'm going to have a great week. Amen. You believe that? Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine down on you, be gracious to you, give you peace, and live in his favor, in Jesus' name. Oh, there's no school of the prophetic. So we did cancel the school, but just today, yeah.